Welcome to the party, pal. The Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh, yeah. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com. And around the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning. <laughs> Sorry, was that a little too is that a little too much in the morning? I somebody said that one time. Boy, you're just so blah. Um, I, w- would you like? Would you rather this was NPR? Good morning. This is NPR. We're here to tell you something calmly. I don't care about that. All right, we're gonna jump into it today because <laughs> we're. I mean, could you imagine just me just doing that all day? Good morning. Um, anyway, today is Tuesday, and that is our time to dive deep into what we like to call the weekly top three. Uh, Brad Keithley uh, from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets is waiting in the wings. He's in the green room right now. We're going to jump in with him here in just a hot second. I uh, want to let you know we got a lot of stuff to cover with him this morning. Uh, those weekly top threes today, I, it's on fire. It's going to be great. Then in hour two, we're going to do a little bit of a recap. We'll talk about my thoughts, uh, thoughts, my thoughts, my thoughts and feelings on some of these things. And then uh, we'll finish things up today with uh, Chris Story, the man from Homer, who will come on board and share with us. And we're going <clears> to <throat> it'll be fun. It'll be fantastic. It'll be great. Uh, coming up uh, on the program later this week, I've got a special guest and I'm super excited about it. You may not be, but I am, and uh, we're going to talk about that here in a little bit as well. So that uh, we'll give you, we'll give you more details on that here in just a bit. Uh, but meanwhile, it's time for the weekly top three. I should create a whole sound. Oh, I did. I do have a sounder for that. Let me just th- let me throw just let me just throw that out there. Brad Keithley joins us every week to discuss oil, gas, and the economic forecast of Alaska. It's the Michael Dukes Show. Okay, that that may need an update because it's been a while. That's uh, it's not just oil and gas; it's all different kinds of stuff. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, joins us this morning to discuss. Good morning, my friends. Welcome to NPR. Uh, thank you for coming on board and joining us, sir. How are you? How are you doing today? What's happening? I, I like that sort of the Terry Gross version, NPR version of uh, of, of the Michael Duke show. That'd, you know. be, that'd be an interest. That'd be an interesting hour. I it, it would help me get back to sleep. I mean, I know <laughs> exactly. I always feeling like I was just always feeling. Yes, it's so calm and so. I mean, this is a story, man. Let give me a storyteller's voice. Don't just be like, hello. Uh, anyway, uh, good morning, Brad, and uh, welcome to the program. Uh, you got a you got a slam dunk rambunctious a bunch of stuff for us today. Let's. Uh, Let's get started on this because, uh, again, reading through some of the details and some of the stuff on this, I just, I'm going to shake my head. The first one of the weekly top three is this number one that the, uh, well, you don't mince words too much. The House Coalition is lying to you. And uh, their front woman, Elise Galvin, has got a big piece up on opinion piece that, uh, 
I mean, again, I'll, I'll let you take the reins here, but the most annoying thing to me is the first sentence of this opinion piece, Alaska's public education system is in crisis and on the verge of collapse. That's the first sentence of this screed. Uh, go ahead, Brad. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll let you take it away. <laughs> well, I, I, I get past a few sentences before I, before I hit mine that sends me, sends me off into the stratosphere. But it is. It's a, it's a public opinion piece that was authored by Elise Galvin, but it's signed on by all the members of the Alaska House Coalition. And to me, that means they read it, they agree with it, and they signed off on the substance uh, on the on the words that uh, that Elise Galvin used in it, it is it is a full on you know we've got to pay teachers more we've got to increase uh, 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 spending in schools more um, and uh, uh, and 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 you know all the things that that go with that. But here's the sentence that sent me off into the stratosphere. She she sets up you know we need more spending we need. We need additional funds in the hands of teachers. We need all sorts of additional funds in the hands of, of K through 12. And here's, here's the two sentences. And there is a budget surplus. So what's the hangout? <laughs> this, is, this, is this is an editorial signed off by all of the members of the Alaska House Coalition. All of the members of the Alaska House Coalition are trying to tell Alaskans that there is a budget surplus. Now, you know, some Alaskans are sharper than others. Um, many are sharper, much sharper than me. Uh, but all you have to do is look at your PFD check and look at the statutory amount to know that there, that there, the, the amount that would have been set by statute to know that there is not a budget surplus. There is, in fact, a budget deficit. And they closed the budget deficit by taking roughly 1.3 billion dollars uh, out of out of the PFD by cutting the PFD by roughly 1.3 billion dollars, and and that's a deficit. You 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 that, that's a tax as we've talked about on previous shows, as uh, as I said, Professor Matt Berman has said is the most it's the most regressive tax uh, ever, um, and that's a tax. And the, and you're they're using that tax to close. Guess what? A budget deficit. And so it's just irresponsible. It is it is lying to Alaskans to claim that there's a budget surplus. It, this whole piece, this whole piece would have been fine. I wouldn't have agreed with it, but it would have been fine without those two sentences. They they threw those two sentences in gratuitously to mislead Alaskans to make Alaskans think there's a budget surplus, so what the heck? We can just take more for, for K through 12 spending. What they're referring to, what their defense would be, is when Bert set up the budget, he set up uh, operating spending, uh, operating budget spending, capital spending, statewide spending, and then there is a line in the budget that's called pre-transfer surplus, about $305 million. And what they're and 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 the reason he set that up is to have a, to have this budget set up to account for supplementals or for underages in oil price projections or all sorts of all sorts of things that could go on uh, before next session and in next session with the supplementals. It is in essence a contingency fund. Anybody right. who's put together a construction budget or anybody who's put together any sort of budget knows that you include a contingency 
amount and Bert included in this budget a contingency amount. What what the what the but that contingency amount is funded like about a billion other about a billion other amount of this budget uh, is funded by PFD cuts. The the way he gets to a balanced budget, the way he gets to this 300 million surplus is by making a billion three in PFD cuts. And then he's got a billion three to play with. And he took a billion to support spending uh, and he took 300 million of it to, to create this, this contingency amount. All the, and so what the, what the Alaska house coalition members would tell you is that it's 300 million, this budget's 300 million surplus. They have $300 million, $300 million more, more to play with that they could go out and they could fund increased K through 12 spending. So as Elise Galvin put it, and as all of the member, all of the members of the Alaska House Coalition signed off on, so what's the hangup? But it's but it's not, it's 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 three hundred million dollars that's funded by PFD cuts. It's not a surplus. It is three hundred million extra dollars that got taken out of the PFD in order to create in order to create this contingency amount. So it's just it's hugely misleading. It is hugely false. Um, it's just, it's the Alaska House Coalition members lying to Alaskans in an effort to, uh, in an effort to make their case. I, I got to tell you, I, I lost a lot of, I mean, I had a lot of respect for some of the members, some of the members of the Alaska House Coalition, that they were trying, that they, that they, you know, were trying to, you know, be responsible in how they balanced the budget, that they were, that they were, you know, making progress toward finding uh, alternative uh, revenues to help balance the budget. But all of them signed off on this. And I, and I just, I've lost respect for all of them. If any of them read that sentence and signed off, every one of them read that sentence and signed off on this piece, that sentence is in a, is in a jointly signed piece. Every one of them read, read that sentence and signed off on that piece. If that's what they think Alaska's fiscal situation is in, then, you know, they have no business being representatives because they don't truly understand the fiscal situation the state's facing. Well, and it's it's, it's interesting that you picked out that one sentence because I read the sentence and my brain basically said, oh, yeah, more of the same. I mean, I just, you know, I mean, it was exactly what my brain said. So I didn't even think it was that unusual. But if you read this piece, this whole piece is essentially um, a regurgitation of every argument that they that they continue to say Alaska has underfunded public education for more than a decade. Uh, again, it's on the verge of a collapse. Every poll shows Alaskans overwhelmingly su uh, support increased education funding. Well, what was the question that you asked? Then you get the budget surplus comment, and then it just keeps going on and on. This is a play-by-play, -play, basically outline of what's coming up in January. I mean, she gets in defined benefits. She talks about all the different funding mechanisms. She talks about this this false narrative of not increasing education. It is just going to be a it is it is last year 2.0. Only they're going to go whole hog, and this time they're going to include defined benefits in the whole program and everything else. But they're trying to reset the playing field, Michael. They're trying to say, oh, there's a budget surplus. So, so why aren't you dealing with education fairly if you've got this budget surplus? I mean, they're counting on the Alaskans having the same reaction that you just described when they when that read that when they read that sentence, which is, oh well, we got, we got a budget surplus now. What now? What are we going to do with it? We don't. We don't. 
not even not even legislative finance, not not even the Burt directed legislative finance, uh, uh, which is just a regurgitation of what Burt wants ever to what's it wants it to say at any given point in time. Not even legislative finance has claimed well that the budget that the budget is in surplus. And I I don't want maybe I miss maybe I misstated what I was saying. I looked at it and said, oh, more BS, more pushwa, understanding that it's not. Maybe that maybe I wasn't clear enough on that, Brad. When I read that statement, I went. <laughs> Okay, I roll. Yeah, of course we've got a surplus because you're sucking the PFD dry. We've got a surplus. That's not a real surplus. So to me, it was just more of the same. It didn't stand out as much as it did to you. But again, it's all part and parcel, this whole thing. You could see exactly where they're going to be going come January the 17th. Yeah. Well, I, I want outrage. When you read that, I want you um, to yeah. have outrage. I want everybody to have outrage when they, when they, read, when they read that sentence. We are smarter than that. Yeah. Alaskans are smarter. Than to, than to fall for the line that we've got a budget surplus. If that's, I mean, this is this is as bad. This is as bad as that as the trick that Natasha and Bert pulled in 2017 to restate the footnote that previously said uh, PFDs are designated funds to take that footnote out and to start talking about them as as unrestricted general funds. And to treat them as just a regular part, a regular revenue source to the budget, as opposed to what they are, like every other designated general fund, statutorily designated for a certain purpose. And it's, I mean, that was an effort to change the words, change the playing field, change the debate, control the debate, and it and it succeeded. This is the this looks like to me, like the next step in that effort to change the words, to change the debate. And to and to and to you know create create a different outcome as a result of just you know taking out a footnote in the case of 2017, or now we're going to start calling it budget surplus, even right. though we're cutting the budget. Right. Even right. though we're cutting permanent fund dividends, we're going to call it magically call it a budget surplus. Right. Sprinkle fairy dust on it, and it's a budget surplus. That it, it's an attempt. This is an attempt to normalize. To, 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 to explain away, to, to use words to explain away something that just isn't true. I, I mean, and, and, and we need to call it out for that at the time it occurs. I think a lot of Alaskans are smart, but I think a lot of Alaskans are ignorant of the process and they'll buy into that. Even though they're smart people, they'll buy into that because they're ignorant of the process itself. That's part of the problem. The, the low information, not you know, voters, the people who don't understand exactly how the process works, they'll be like, oh, OK, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah that makes sense, you know, kind of thing. And you're right. It's an attempt to capture the language. It's an attempt to change the to change the argument and change the the vocabulary, and that's but you know not shocking. All right, so number one, Brad's outraged, uh, but just just <laughs> awesome. Uh, Brad, quick tease on number two. Number two is uh, uh, there's some we talked briefly about the permanent fund boards meeting uh, last week. We had a question during the the Q and A period that I that I sort of. Uh, minimalized. Uh, I want to go back to that because there were some events that happened, some information that came to light after our show during later in the week. And I think uh, I think I'm, I'm I'm almost equally as outraged at the permanent fund board as I am at uh, Elise Galvin and uh, and 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 the other members of the Alaska House Coalition for this thing. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budget. It's the weekly top three, the outraged edition. We're going to be back with more. Uh, right after this, number two, dead ahead.
if you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. All right, uh, we're in the break right now. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, our guest. Donna actually makes a valid point. She goes, the most disturbing part of the op-ed is that more money will fix Alaska's education system. I mean, you're you're 100% right. I mean, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over. Here we are at the top of the heap as far as student expenditures uh, in the country. We're in the top one, two, three, somewhere in there. And yet they just say, well, what we need is more money. I mean, it would be better if we were at the top of the heap for spending, but we're at the bottom of the heap for educational outcome. But what we really need is more money, more money, uh, M-O-A-R, more. Uh, and that's it's, it's just it's it's insane. It's frustrating and it's insane. I absolutely disagree that that's the most disturbing part. I mean, yes, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a disturbing part. It is not the most disturbing part. Go back to 2017. And what happened when they changed the language in 2017 to, to eliminate the, the footnote that said permanent fund dividends or designated funds? Designated funds, for those who, for those who you know, want the catch-up version of the show, designated funds are funds that are statutory designated for a certain purpose. Constitution says you can't dedicate funds, so they're not dedicated. The, the legislature can move them around, but they are designated for a certain purpose. And and it is it, it is not common for the legislature to go in and grab designated funds. And another example of designated funds are the tuition that's paid for by the by UAF UAA for, by the college students in the state. Those are designated for a certain purpose. They're designated for for use by the university, but they're not dedicated for that purpose. And the legislature can go grab them and use them for other purposes. The legislature doesn't do that though. And, 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 and up to 2017, we'd had the PFD in the same way. What happened in 2017 is they dropped the footnote. They started treating permanent fund, uh, permanent fund uh, earnings, including the dividend portion, as UGF, as unrestricted general funds, and said we could spend it on anything. And that change in the language is what opened the door to what we've had since. Uh, newspaper articles that say, yeah, they're UGF. Yeah, you, you can spend them on anything. And, and, and a whole era of, of legislators and newspaper reporters and newspaper editors and, and people commonly talking about those stunts, that stuff as unrestricted general funds. This is exactly the same thing. This is an attempt to change the language and say, those PFD cuts, don't worry about those. That, that isn't, that isn't a, a deficit, a budget deficit. That really created a budget surplus. It's an effort. It's an Orwellian effort. To change the to change the language in a way that favors favors spending those funds, uh, treating those funds as as surplus funds. If you cut the PFD, they're surplus funds. We can spend them on anything. Don't worry about the PFD. We haven't we haven't mistreated it. It's just it's it's gone anyway. Despite the statute, and 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 I think the most insidious part of this op-ed. K through 12, sort of a sort of a, a an issue of the moment. This is a fundamental about fiscal policy going forward. If we start treating PFD cuts as surpluses, then we've we've entered an, another entirely different era about how we're going to put the, put these budgets together. 
<clears throat> Donna says, if we're debating about which is the worst part of this op-ed, we can conclude that it's really bad. <laughs> and I would agree. It is really, really bad. This op-ed, like I said, this, this op-ed reads like a planning memo for the next phase of the battle. You could see how they're going to, and I agree with Brad, they're attempting to capture the language and change the whole narrative to somehow, we have a surplus, so we should be able to spend it. Uh, even though that surplus is on the backs of Alaska, uh, uh, backs of Alaskans uh, and their PFD, and everything we just talked about with with Rob Meyer yesterday on Meyer Monday, Meyer's Monday, we were talking about how the fact that ICER, even though ICER said pulling the lever on the permanent fund is the worst thing that they can do to the economy, that was just on raw spending. That had that was no analysis on investment. Uh, and what we have now is we have a tremendous amount of malinvestment in the market because the state is taking that money and it's not being invested by the private citizenry, um, which is all part and parcel of this whole thing. It's it's insane. All right, Brad. <clears throat> Are you ready? All right. <laughs> Read Brad's face. He is ticked off. Yes, Brad is. Boy, he's, you know, it's up. Eight seconds. Don't get started. You can see you could comment on this on the other side. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty based, free thing. We got we're holding them down. We're holding them down. Here we go. Public enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke Show. Yeah, I'm a pain in the nothing. I'm just a perfect angel. Before we, right before we came back, uh, somebody said, "Boy, read Brad's face. He's really ticked." And Brad wanted to say something. Brad, what were you going to say? What was? What you say? Oh, it, it it was it was simply that. I mean, the setup was something like, I don't know. I, it, it was simply that. It, it's I'm I'm disappointed. Some of these members, some of these, some of these members of the Alaska House Coalition, I thought we're, we're making progress toward understanding Alaska's fiscal situation. And and Elise wasn't one of them. And if this were just, was solely signed by Elise, then okay, yeah, it's just it's just sort of par for the course for her. But other, but it's, it's signed by the entire Alaska House Coalition. Every last one of them signed off on that sentence. Cliff Grow, who claims to be, you know, the fiscal expert, uh, in this, in the, in the legislature, people look up to him, people look for him. He signed off on that. And that's just, I mean, it's no fiscal expert, no, no one no. who understands Alaska's fiscal situation should be signing off on that sentence. All right, let's move on to number two, which was the permanent fund board and what took place in Saudi Arabia this week. Uh, and your, why your contention is still that the entire permanent fund board should be overturned and replaced bread yeah so after uh, so last monday there was a meeting of the permanent for board, permanent fund board at which they considered various paths uh forward one of those was to substantially increase the risk that the board's undertaking uh that the that the board's undertaking with its investments in an effort to get super returns returns above the five percent historic target they've had move those returns with inflation or before after inflation up to the seven percent range by taking more and more and more risk well the problem to get to get higher and higher returns problem with more and more risk is it doesn't always pan out you end up with you know with losses and those losses may overwhelm the gains and you may end up going backwards as opposed to going forward um and the board uh, uh in that monday meeting meeting did not adopt that strategy 
Um, and the question we had last week was, well, what's my reaction to that? My reaction was, well, that's fine, but there are other steps there. You know, there's another board meeting in December. Let's not, let's not, you know, just assume that that's the end of it. Let's assume it may come up, uh, may come up again. Subsequent to the Tuesday show during the course of the week, it came to light that in a, in a, in a panel session in Saudi Arabia, uh, a week or two before. Uh, the Monday board meeting. Ellie Rubenstein, who's one of the of the board directors, had been on a panel in Saudi in Saudi Arabia and was bragging about about this proposal by the board to get to 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 adopt this new strategy of going forward with higher risk in an effort to get to a hundred billion dollars to push the get super returns in an effort to get to a hundred billion dollars uh, value in the in the permanent fund. And and if you watch that panel discussion and then look at all of the commentary around the panel discussion since, what that's what she's really doing is saying, and she called she called that proposal, by the way, my baby during the course of the panel discussion. What she really what she's really saying is, look at me. I'm getting the Alaska Permanent Fund to the what she called the hundred billion dollar club, the hundred billion dollar in value club, the most sovereign uh, wealth. Uh, Sovereign wealth, fund. Sovereign, yeah. The 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 most uh, uh, the biggest uh, Ala or uh, United States sovereign wealth fund in the United States, the biggest uh, investment fund, uh, state investment fund uh, in the United States. Look at me, I'm I'm really doing this. And the more I've watched that tape, the more I've looked at the commentary. What we're really in the middle of is an ego trip. What I'll, what the Alaska Permanent Fund Board is really in the middle of is an ego trip. They want to be they want to get us to the 100 billion dollar club. They want to be with the big boys. They want to be part of the you know the Saudi the Saudi Arabian investment at the level with the Saudi Arabian Arabian investment group. They want to you know be thought of in the same terms as the Norway um, investment. We want to be we want to be major players. Us permanent fund board members want to be major players. She said something. So I, one, I think they're on an ego trip. Two, well, and also in support of one is during the permanent fund board meeting, they considered opening a bunch of a bunch of new offices: London, Singapore, New York City. Great places to travel to. Oh, and as board <laughs> members, we'd have to go to, you know, be seen in those places. They also, and Michael, this is the thing that really ticked me off. Dermot Cole has this in his reporting. They also approved a budget of $250,000 for global communications. What the hell is that? I mean, to, uh, why does the Alaska Permanent Fund Board need global communications? What we need are good investments. We don't need to be bragging about the investments. We need to be making those investments. Oh, it's all about marketing, Brad. It's all about marketing. Come on. And 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 a $250,000 budget you know, for global communications is nothing more than, than, you know, to promote Ellie, to promote, you know, the members of the board as, hey, we're big, big members. There's one other thing that Ellie said that originally I didn't focus on, but as I went back and listened to the tape over and over and over again, it gradually dawned on me what she was saying. She said, this is a board of politicians. She's the only non-politician on the board. And some people, Dermot include, included, sort of ignored that and said, well, she was that, that was just a misstatement. It's not. Look at that board. You've got Adam Crum, who clearly is running for governor. <laughs> if, he, if, he, if he can't run for state, if he can't run for U.S. Congress, he's running for governor. Jason Bruni, who's also rumored 
to be in the mix to run for governor. Craig Richards, who, you know, views himself as the power behind any throne that's up there. He used to be Walker's attorney general. Then he had a split with Walker and all of a sudden he's he's Dunleavy's best friend uh, and and stays on the board because he's Dunleavy's best friend, sort of the 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 the, the fixer, the power behind the throne uh, of Alaska. We do have a political board. We do have a board that's 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 full of politicians. And that's and and their egos and their desire to drive the fund forward so they can use that as part of their campaigns. It's part of what's going on here. We have lost lock. We do that board meeting that you understand is that we were saved by the board of advisors, the board of real money managers, the board of real investment people that advise the, that advise the permanent fund board. And to a person, they said, look, this, this, this expectation of getting to 7% return in the current environment is just foolish. You're just going off on a, on a fool's errand. You're putting the fund at risk. It's a bad thing. They were the grownups in the room. And what that really made, and, 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 the, and Jason and Adam and Ellie all pushed them and said, oh, now, come on, really, you know, how do we get to 7% real rate of return? You know, tell, tell us the secrets of how we get there. And they all said, there are no secrets. You can't get there. You're putting the fund at risk by doing it. What, what you come to realize as you, as you sort of walk through that is that's the kind of board we want. We right. want the advisory board right. as members of the board. And if, and if we're going to have politicians anywhere, anywhere around this thing, we're going to have people on ego trips anywhere around this thing, they can advise it. They can advise the board. But we want grownups running this board, not people on ego trips of I'm, I'm in the hundred billion dollar club or right. look, I'm running for governor. Look, look what I've done as I was, as I've been permanent fund, uh, uh, permanent fund board trustee. Well, the, and we, we, we need to replace this board. And, and that's really some of the things that struck me in this article that Dermot wrote uh, talking about this and some of the quotes come back to, you know, you know what this really reminded me of this reminded me of Natasha. Uh, because here you have another, you know, uh, woman who came in and under, you know, daddy's money or whatever. And, and she I mean, she name drops this whole thing. You know, oh, my dad was so disappointed when they said they were pulling back from their uh, from their investment, uh, from their investment projections, you know, down from 19 percent. Oh, dad was so disappointed. And then talking about how she's pushing the woman in the workforce and the ESG and all. Look, I don't care about any of that. I want the best return and the most stable fund for the investment that it can be. And these people are all coming in with agendas that have nothing to do with what's best for the state of Alaska. It's what's best for them is what's going. You could see it. This, I mean, again, yeah. very reminiscent of what Natasha was doing. This, this is a fund. This is a board that's been appointed by the governor without vetting by the legislature, without public vetting. Because one of the things when you have to go through vetting by the legislature, you go through public vetting as well. You get a sense of, of what, uh, of what, of how people react, what people think about, you know, that, that particular person or, or that particular role uh, being on the, being on the per permanent fund board. So we've got really unvetted people uh, that the governor's put on there who clearly, at least some of whom have a political agenda, some of whom have an ego driven agenda, um, uh, all of whom sort of, you know, <laughs> put, put, you know, the, 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 the real role of the permanent fund board to be a steady progressive, you know, play it, play it by the book, get, get more funds. Don't, overstretch, all of whom put that uh, aside in their effort to satisfy their ego or satisfy their own personal political agenda. We, we, don't, we don't have a board of grownups, a board of investment professionals 
uh, running this show. Thank God we have it in the advisory board and they push back, but we don't have that on the board itself. And I, and I think clearly what this sets up is we need to sunset the board, just like we did the Alaska Public Utilities Commission at the end of the 1990s when they went off, when they flew off into the stratosphere somewhere, sunset the board, set up a new board uh, that is based on, you know, sort of says, hey, everybody who's on the advisory board, that's who we want on the on the on the permanent fund board. The, that sort of role, those sorts of people, those sorts of that sort of experience, that sort of understanding, that sort of knowledge. That's who we want uh, on the permanent fund board. Stagger it um, and uh, and make it subject to legislative approval uh, and and reset what we're doing with the permanent fund board, because this one is showing us how how far they can spin off into the universe. And I don't think it's over yet. I mean, people say, well, they, they, they've tamped it down this, they don't think it will come back. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm not kidding you. Ellie Rubenstein's on a drive to be a part of the hundred billion dollar club by gosh. And, and I, I don't think this thing's dead yet, given, given the players we have on that board. So I, I think this legislature really needs to take a hard look at what we've got on the permanent fund board. One interesting fact um, that Nat Hertz reported in, in, in on his blog, in his Interesting Things blog, Kathy Giesel hired Angela Rodell for this coming legislative session. Now, I don't know exactly what she's up to. I don't know exactly why she why she did that. But one thing that Angela would say, I think as well, is that this board is spun off. That this board is not is not pursuing the 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 goal that the legislature has set for it. That Alaskans have set for it. Um, and, um, and it, it's intriguing that, that Giesel thought to hire Angela at this particular time. But I think one of the things this legislature needs to be doing is looking at sunsetting the permanent fund board and reconstituting the permanent for, fund board in a wholly different way, uh, based on experience and based, based upon public vetting as opposed to, as opposed to what we got now. Well, especially looking at the makeup of the board, we got people on there that obviously don't have the history of, I mean, Adam Crum and Craig Richardson of, uh, of deep long-term investing. Like you said, the advisory board experience needs to be on the regular board as, uh, as well. And for people who would argue that, well, if you do that and open it up to a thing, then you'll just politicize it. It's totally politicized right now. Any governor can go in there and, and clean, clean all house out with no oversight or anything else. I would just argue that uh, at least in the public process, we'd get some vetting on what's going on, and that would probably be a good idea. I don't. I don't think if we had public vetting, I don't think Adam Crumbs ends up on the board. I think people see Adam Crumb for what he is, which is a wannabe governor, uh, and say, "Look, you know, go go do that on somebody else's dime. Don't do it. Don't do it with permanent fund board money." I think Jason Bruni uh, probably ends up in the same place. Uh, don't don't do that on uh, on don't run for governor on, on the, on permanent fund board money. Uh, go do that. Uh, go do that on your own nickel. So I, I just, I, I, I think public vetting would, would in legislative vetting would help a lot in this situation. Yeah. It, it wouldn't, it, it, it may not show up in terms of would Adam Crum reject, be rejected or would Jason Bruni rejected? I don't think they'd even get nominated because I think the concern any administration's concern would be, well, that's just going to trigger off a political war. We don't need that. And look, we got all these professionals out there who really know how to run this business, really know what this business is. Let's just go appoint one of them, you know. Somebody stage, who actually you know. knows what they're doing. I mean, shocking. We should actually, you know, hire somebody that knows what they're doing. Um, all right. Number three, Brad, quickly here. 
Just give well, me number a three is a, is a is an article that Nat Hertz uh, did on the Cook Inlet that I think is good, but I think uh, I think he he misses a key point entirely, and I want to talk about the point he missed. All right, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We're continuing with him in just a moment. The weekly top three continues. It is the Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. We'll return with more and number three of the weekly top three right after this. Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. All right, Brad Keithley, our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. I mean, <clears throat> just tell us what you feel, Brad. I mean, really, just tell us how you really think about this. Um, it's, uh, I mean, it, it, it's just, to me, it was insane, the people that they were putting on this board who had no experience in those kind of maneuvers. I mean, my thought was, historically, the board has been, um, you know, pretty uh, disconnected necessarily from politics in general. It was all about building the fund and continuing to grow the fund and the expertise to do that. And it just seems like over the last 10 years, that fundamentally has shifted uh, away from this. It's been, it's been, it's been bankers, investment fund managers. I mean, people who, who aren't running for governor, people who, who have a fairly low profile, uh, you know, stick to the knitting of, of making money, stick to the knit, uh, the knitting of, of investing and, and looking at, uh, at rates of return stuff that, uh, stuff that isn't, you know, isn't, isn't, uh, uh, I, I, I candy and stuff that isn't, you know, make, doesn't make you intensely popular, but, uh, but stuff that's built the fund over the time to, you know, in excess of $60 billion, $70 billion. So, um, that that's historically who who's been on there. Steve Rieger, uh, a former state representative was on the board, uh, was replaced by Jason Bruni, but Steve Rieger was on the board and Rieger was just very, you know, down to earth, just very level headed, just, you know, we just need to keep the fund. Uh, uh, just keep building the fund slowly. We need to be very careful about how we're making these investments because, you know, it, even though it's 60 or $70 billion, it's only 60 or $70 billion and you can lose that, you know, just read it wall street journal in any given day and you can and see about, you know, how, how people lose fortune. So um, just, you know, very even keeled people. Now we've got, you know, ego trips of, I want to be, I want to be the hundred billion. It's my baby to get us to a hundred billion dollars. I want to be part of the hundred billion dollar club or, you know, Bruni, I'm running for governor by gosh. I want uh, you know, I want a 7% real rate of return. How do we get to 7% real rate of return? The question, the advisory board, the advisory board says you can't get there. Oh, come on. All right. So how do we get to 6.5%? You know, it's just, it's, we don't, we, we have people on there that don't understand uh, the investment markets. I mean, Jason's got a great background, but it's a great background in environmental protection and in oil and in, and in almost everything, but <laughs> in investments, Adam Crum. Yeah. I just, I'm not a big fan of Adam Crum and, and that's just going to continually come through. But, but one of the things he isn't is, is a great investor. So I, it's just, we need, we need to, we need to, step back and say, this isn't where we want to go. 
we well, don't we don't want to be we don't want to be stretching the envelope and you know grabbing for the brass ring of a hundred billion dollars and then falling into the middle of the of the lion's pit when we miss it. We we want to be just a steady state, you know, stay on the same track, steady as we go, uh, 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 permanent fund building building toward you know whatever it's going to be, not not these artificial numbers out there that we have to hit in the next ten years. You can see that there's just people just trying to put another notch in their belt, another trophy in the case, another way to brag about what their accomplishments are. That's what it becomes about. It becomes about their own personal drive their own personal goal instead of the overall goal of the fund. I mean, the, again, reading this article from Dermot Cole and seeing all these comments, and these are direct quotes from uh, from uh, Rubenstein on all these things, and you can see this is about her notching, you know, notching her stock on another – uh, uh, you know, uh, on, on another win for I'm a woman. I did this a hundred million dollar club. I need to be part of it. This is my baby. This is what it's all about. It's not about what's good for the people. It's not about what's good for the fund. It's showing that she got there and she did it. You could see it. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's very much self-interest instead of, uh, instead of the overall interest of the funds. Exactly right. And that's what, you know, and some people will say, well, that's just the members we've got on there. If we change the members, it'll be okay. No, it, it's not. I mean, that's we're now seeing what happens when you have a gubernatorial only uh, appointment board and and you have a governor who is, I don't know, disengaged. Is that the word we're using right now? Uh, a governor who really isn't paying attention to, to, you know, to the basics, who's you know worrying about his about his next election when he runs against. Oh, Lisa. don't worry. He's the fifth most popular governor in the country. Didn't you see that the other day? Yeah, that's. <laughs> Amongst two, I don't know, but amongst apparently he's the fifth most popular governor in Alaska or in the country. Hey, he may be the fifth, the fifth most popular yeah. governor in Alaska. He may be the fifth. Hammonds, most. Uh, but but it's uh, it's uh, we, we need a professional board. This board has has demonstrated how bad you can get. Well, hopefully this is as bad as we can get. Hopefully we can't get worse. But it's demonstrated that this process produces a board that does this. We need to we need to wipe it just like we did with the Alaska Public Utility Utilities Commission in the late 1990s. We need to wipe it out and we need to start over again. Don't worry, don't worry, nothing's going to fall through the cracks. It's seamless, one to the other, uh, and and get a professional board and 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 keep going down the road that we've been going down. I'm going to go ahead and post this article from Dermot Cole up in the uh, chat room for those of you that want to uh, take a look at it and see it. Brad Keithley is our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. The weekly top three continues with number three. Uh, we're going to jump into it uh, right about now. So uh, hold, hold, hold tight. Buckle up, buttercup. Here we go. All right, we're continuing now. Brad Keithley is our guest. Uh, weekly top three continues. We're on to number three, which is the press is starting to get it, but not 100%. They're starting to see some of it, but still not the whole picture, according to Brad. Brad, go ahead. All right, so um, the Cook Inlet is getting a lot of attention. Uh, uh, we talked about it on last week's show. We've talked about it on previous shows. You know, the fact that there's that there's a gas shortage and, and now people are talking about, oh, what can the state do to, you know, to essentially create gas? You know, how much money and, and where should we be throwing the money sort to, 
So, so it turns into, so it turns into gas. What the Dunleavy administration has proposed so far is, is reducing the state. We've already given away all the tax. There's no tax on Cook Inlet gas. Now the, now the Dunleavy administration has started to talk about subsidizing uh, Cook Inlet gas by reducing the royalty. In fact, eliminating the royalty uh, on new leases going to a net profits uh, uh, lease where the state doesn't get paid any royalty unless there's a profit uh, under the accounting system used by the producer. And, uh, and, and, um, uh, with respect to existing leases, uh, reducing royalty perhaps to zero uh, is the gun is the Dunleavy proposal. Nat Hertz, uh, who probably is is one of the certainly one of the top five, maybe uh, the best reporter that we've got uh, in the state, uh, doesn't work for an organization anymore. He writes his own blog, uh, and uh, and this week came out with a piece that says if Alaska wants more Cook Inlet gas, taxpayers should get ready to pony up. And, and basically what Nat's article is, what Nat's piece is, is looking beyond what the governor's proposed to, to what may be coming next, uh, what may be in, in George Rauscher's mind that he's going to propose next, which is going back to the credit system uh, and giving producers money, trying to you know, turn money into gas by giving producers money uh, 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 through credits. Uh, tax credits or through refundable credits where they just get the cash, um, giving producers money uh, in an effort to incentivize uh, additional pro uh, uh, production. I think that's wrong. And, and Nat's got a great article, I think, for that, that picks that apart. He's sort of looking beyond to, to where we may be headed past what the governor, past what the governor's proposed. But here's, here's my thing with Nat. The headline, which is picked up no, uh, is it, it was the headline that Nat used when he put it on his own page. Is the headline now uh, that's being used when it's on the Anchorage Daily News opinion piece or opinion page, and and on the uh, Alaska Beacon opinion page. Here's the headline: If Alaska wants more Cook Inlet gas, taxpayers should get ready to pony up. He's exactly right. It usually when somebody sees that. You'll you'll get a comment that will go, oh, Alaska doesn't have taxpayers. I mean, the the all companies are the taxpayers. They're the ones that they're the only ones that really pay tax. And so, you know, what you what are you saying, Nat? That the oil companies should get ready to pony up? No, we now have a tax. I mean, we've talked about it a lot on the show. PFD cuts are a tax. What Eisner's Matt Berman has talked has said are the most regressive tax ever. Um, and Nat's exactly right. Taxpayers should get ready to pony up. What Nat doesn't do is take that as a setup and talk about which taxpayers are going to get hit, which Alaskans are going to get hit. Who's going to pay for these credits? The, the, the piece is entirely about the credits themselves and how they likely won't be effective and how it's just throwing money, more money down the, down the, down the rat hole uh, at producers to try to get them temporarily to produce more gas. Uh, he doesn't talk, he doesn't back up and say, Yes, my headline said taxpayers should get ready to pony up, and here's the taxpayers that that uh, that are going to be affected. Um, <laughs> Let's be honest; and, your hopes were raised. You read the headline, and you were like, "Oh, maybe he gets it." And then you read the article. Yeah, well, but it's prog it's progress. I mean, it's progress in the sense that at least now we're talking about taxpayers. At least we're now talking about you know Alaskans having to pay for something um and uh, and 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 
he he's right on the cusp, I think, of 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 getting it and and starting down the road of an equally as important road of you know what are we going to spend it on and should we be spending it on that? An equally important road is and who's going to pay for it if we go down that road and spend it? He's right on the cusp, I think. That headline gets us right to the cusp of addressing that second issue, but then he doesn't do it. So I I think it's progress in the sense of Alaska reporting that Nat is out there with a headline that says taxpayers should get ready to pony up. I think it's progress that we're recognizing that as taxpayers, it truly is taxpayers uh, that are going to get hit by that get hit by additional spending, whether it's for the Cook Inlet or for its whether it's for K through 12 or whether it's defined benefits or whatever it is that that it's taxpayers who are getting hit but but he needs to and reporters generally need to take the next step and say okay taxpayers are getting hit which taxpayers are there which alaskans are getting hit uh with the burden of of paying for these things great basically who are taxpayers at this point and uh they don't want to acknowledge that it's a tax they want to still say that we're all getting the free ride as we talked about in the past that that'll be the next step in the evolution of oh alaskans are getting a free ride you need to do it like just like every other state and we should pay taxes at that point you could see that that's coming the buildup is already in the wind on that but i mean it's good to see at least he's starting to be on the cusp of it uh now if james brooks and some of the others were you know more intellectually honest on this and stop just regurgitating talking points that would be a better thing but i mean it's a major problem here in alaska brad wouldn't you agree that we just don't have a a fifth estate that is is you know really asking the hard doing what they're supposed to be doing asking the hard questions of either side being skeptical of all sides at this point uh i think that's fair michael uh on on fiscal issues i mean I, i i'm sort of proud to see the pushback uh the alaska landmine had ellie's uh had Ellie Rubenstein's uh, uh, tape first, but then to see everybody else sort of, you know, look at the tape and give their own spin on it, I think that's I think that's a sign of pushback against against some of the some of what government wants uh, wants us to believe. Uh, government, broadly speaking, uh, government wants us to believe some some sign that the that the fifth estate's pushing back. But on this in particular, I mean. So, so let's 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 look at this headline. If Alaska wants more cooking gas, taxpayers should get ready to pony up. If you look at the Elise Galvin version of this, the Alaska House Coalition uh, of this, it would be Alaska wants more cooking gas. We just need to take some of our surplus um, and spend it on uh, on 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 that. I mean, that's that's the way they would want to spin it. Right. Um, I think I think it's good that Nat's pushing it. At least that taxpayers should get ready to pony up. We just need to step forward and say. Which taxpayers? Who pays? What, where's the burden falling uh, on Alaskans? Who's who are the taxpayers? Uh, uh, and have the fifth estate step up and do that. Brad, um, we're down to the last ninety seconds here or so, but let me just get a, a tease from you uh, or kind of a preview of your thoughts on the upcoming um, session, because obviously we could see with what Galvin's written and everybody signed off on, we could see the direction that this is going to be going more money for education, defined benefits. I mean, these are going to be the talking points and the hit pieces. What do you think is going to happen this year? Um, boy, that's a, so it's an election year. I think there's going to be a huge push to spend. I mean, we're seeing it from both the Democrats and the Republicans. The Democrats want to spend on K through 12, George Rauscher and the Republicans want to spend on cook inlet gas. Uh, through giving subsidies and, and credits. 
the big push is going to be to to spend. Uh, the governor has not demonstrated the ability to really hold the line against spending since uh, since uh, 2019. So I, I think I think we're going to have a big push for spending. I think we're going to have a big push for using PFD cuts to to fuel that spending. Uh, and I think it's going to be. I think, I think we're going to declare success if at the end of that, if at the end of the session, they haven't enacted a statute that replaces the, the existing PFD statute. Well, we'll see what happens. They might be able to get it through. They may not. Uh, we'll see what happens. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you, my friend, for coming on board. As always, it's good Michael. to have you. Michael, as always, uh, thanks for having me. All right, folks, hour two is dead ahead. The Michael Duke Show. We recap, finish up with Chris Story. If you got to go, be kind, love one another, live well. Hour two, dead ahead. <laughs> yeah, I saw this headline, Brad, and I just, I immediately thought of you and thought, boy, we should discuss this. Dunleavy is the fifth most popular governor in America. According to the Morning Consult poll, Alaska Governor Mike Dunleavy is the fifth most popular governor in America. They're known for these polls, obviously. The poll over the summer showed that Dunleavy was number 10, and then his popularity doubled. And he's even more popular than Dakota, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem. So, I mean, I just, I mean, who, 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 I mean, is it Alaska? I mean, who is, I, I just don't even know at this point. Um, uh, Michael, Michael, what's going on? I think is everybody else is sinking, and Mike and and Dunleavy's just sort of sticking, sticking where he where he is. I mean, Christy Nome had to deal with fiscal issues. She had to deal with with taxes. South Dakota has taxes, folks, uh, and uh, and Christy Nome had to uh, had to deal with those, and um, and you know had to had to confront the fact that you know the 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 reality fiscal reality exists and so that sort of pulls her back oh my gosh she has to deal with taxes dunleavy though he denies it and though he says oh we ought to be paying a full pfd dunleavy's riding this wave of using the pfd as as a way of substituting for taxes as a substitute revenue source so he doesn't have to press for taxes and so and so you know every time he gets close to it the press the press conference last year uh, where he said, oh, we're going to consider a sales tax. We'll have it out in the next day or two. And it never came. Uh, every time he gets close to it, he gets, you know, beat about the head and shoulders and, and, and he pulls back from it and he's not confronting it. And he's just riding. He's as bad in this respect as Elise Galvin, right? He's as bad in the sense that he's just riding the PFD down, talking, you know, talking a good game about it, but signing budgets that increase spending and reduce the PFD, just riding it down. And 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 avoiding having to confront the fiscal reality the state faces. Yeah, uh, and so that makes you popular when you don't have to talk. I mean, when you don't have to talk about that stuff. Well, she has to talk about it, and so she gets dinged for it. I guess you're out of sight, out of mind. I mean, that's really what it's about. I mean, my criticism of Mike. I like Mike. I like Mike. Um, I like to stand in the beginnings. I, you know, I, I. But my main criticism of him for his entire tenure, uh, after that first, you know, battering that he took over the budget cuts has been that he has been literally 
just absent from the fray. He has not been engaging the public. He has not been engaging his base. He he started for a short period of time there putting out those little governor video things that he did on Facebook, which were, you know, truly engaging and I think gave people an idea where he's at. And he has totally discounted that. He's not going on radio. He's not, t- you know, he's just like, he's absent from the scene. And and I just I think that is the biggest mistake that he could possibly make. And yet he continues to do it. And like you said, maybe he's just lame ducking it now, waiting for his next three years to turn over so he can run for Senate. I mean, that is and it is so disappointing to the people who voted for him in the base. That's the worst part is that they are the ones that are disappointed. Does he think he's going to get their support if he changes office based on this track record? I, I just don't even know. Yeah, well. I mean, he's, as I say, he's skating, he's able to do that. He's able to be quiet because he doesn't, he, he's, he's allowing the PFD, allowing PFD cuts to, 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 to absorb the fiscal problems the state's, the state's dealing with. He's talking against it, but he's not doing anything about it uh, as it's going through the legislature. And he's just signing the budgets and not getting into controversial, you know, uh, tit for tats with the legislature, you know, yes, you shouldn't have spent that much, but you did. And so I'll sign it. Um, you shouldn't have cut the PFD that much, but you did. And so I'll sign it. The most powerful, what, what many people say is the most powerful governor in the, in the, in the U S has the most power of any governor in the U S uh, is just rolling over, you know, just got round right. heels and just rolling over for whatever, whatever the legislature wants. So <laughs> you go along, get along. You don't create a lot of headlines. You don't get people out there pushing back at you. You talk a good game about, oh, I'm, I stand for PFDs. Uh, but then you allow them to, to, to get cut and, um, and you, and you don't have any bad headlines that way. I mean, just roll over and wet on yourself at this point, and it's all fine. I mean, that's. Well, I wasn't. I wasn't going to say the. I I'm going to do that. I'm going to say that. I mean, that's what it is. He had the opportunity. He blinked, and he and he just he passed it. He just he took the easy path at this point. Um, Gary, I don't agree with you. Gary says, I truly and sadly think it's time to move on from harping on the PFD. Unfortunately, the PFD is not going to be around in the new, in the too distant future. A sustainable budget should focus on finding those areas where the budget could be cut down instead of, (laughs) I mean, first I, I disagree with all of that, but I mean, you know, Brad, I'll let you comment on it here in the last minute or so. Was Gary around in 2019? I was, was he around I mean, for, for the debacle of 20, 2019? Yeah. And and has he been around since when the governor hasn't taken a taken a stand since? You know, you and I for for the entire 20 teens, we found all these places where the budget could be cut. And and what good did it do us? None. Um the real the real stopping point, the real thing that we have that would stop this is if the top 20% had to pay for part of the cost of government. They would push back. They would say, no, I'm not going to, I don't want taxes for that. I don't want taxes for this. I don't want taxes to go to Ellie for Ellie Rubenstein to travel over to Saudi Arabia. I I just don't want, I don't want taxes, but they don't say that. And they don't say that because we've allowed the PFD to become the punching bag for, for increased spending and and for how we fund until we stop that, until we stabilize the PFD and say, if we're going to spend the top 20% has got to spend also, all companies are at risk for increased taxes to spend also until we stop that and and switch it over to where people are at risk from increased spending 
we won't get spending stopped and we'll continue to see the PFD erode. So to me, the PFD is the key. Yeah. You give that up, you give that up and stop talking about it. We're done. Yeah. End of statement. I agree with that. Brad, thank you so much, my friend. Appreciate you coming on board, folks. We're going to jump into hour two here. I'm going to reset. So you'll get 20 seconds of the blue screen. Brad, thank you so much. Appreciate it. We'll see you on the other side. Here we go. Common Sense Radio. in its holster we haven't gone anywhere i don't understand check out the michaeldukeshow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast welcome to the party pal the, the michael dukes show the greed and the entitlement is astounding to me what more could you want from a low-budget radio program This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this your favorite radio station and or FM uh, translator. Good morning, my friends. Welcome back to Hour 2 of the big radio broadcast. We are ready to go and jumping into it here in Hour 2. A little bit of a recap. We're going to go over some of the things that Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets just hit on. Give you some of my thoughts on it as well and uh, maybe uh, see what some of the folks in the chat room and other places are talking about in regards to that. We're going to start off here with, oh, and then Chris Story comes in at the end of the show to soothe our savage wounds from all this uh, from all this angst. We're going to start off here with a comment that happened over the top of the hour break here uh, from one of the chat room folks. Um, and uh, Brad just, he as a parting shot, he kind of went out after it and, and talked about it. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to dissect it just a little bit. Uh, Gary in the chat room made a comment and uh, he said, uh, I truly and sadly think it's time to move on from harping uh, about the PFD. Unfortunately, the PFD is not going to be around in the not too distant future. And Alaskans for sustainable budgets should focus on finding those areas where the budget cut, uh, the budget can be cut down. Now, um, Unfortunately, and I know Gary, and Gary's a you know pretty conservative guy. I think he's uh, he and I are probably aligned on the majority of things that uh, you know that that uh, in beliefs and philosophies, etc. But what I'm finding more and more is I'm finding more and more people in that in that lane, in that philosophy, in that more conservative mind space, who are saying kind of the same thing that Gary's saying. Oh, we're we're sick and tired of talking about the PFD. Just give it up. And move on. And, well, there's a lot of unfortunate parts to that, okay? First and foremost, you have to understand where the, uh, you have to understand where the PFD fits into the equation of of everything here in Alaska. Uh, For those of you who don't know, and I guess with just a small primer here as we get into this, 
But Alaskan, obviously, Alaskans do not have their uh, do not have the right to their subsurface minerals, right? That was something that was decided not by the state, not by uh, anybody really here. It was decided by the federal government as a condition of statehood. They were concerned at the time that Alaska would not be able to pull its weight because of the lack of, uh, you know, the lack of population and the geographic size of the state, that Alaska would not be able to fund itself and that the federal government would be responsible for a lot of the infrastructure, yada, yada, yada. And so as a condition of statehood, they made the state retain the subsurface mineral rights to almost all land, with the exception of federally patented land, uh, with all land in the state of Alaska. This is a very, very unique situation, right? I mean, when you hear about you know, drilling down in the Balkan, uh, when you hear about, uh, you know, oil and gas in Texas and all these other places, and you see these things go out, well, there's a private sector component to that because those subsurface mineral rights, generally speaking, are owned by someone, private entity, uh, you know, an Indian tribe, a, a corporation, uh, you know, somebody. Um, and so it's a whole different breed of cat here in the state of Alaska than what we see uh, out there in the rest of the world. And when we first received that first royalty payment, that first payment as a state, as owners of the state, um, in 1969, 1970, 19, right in that area, um, the, you know, it, it became abundantly clear that there was a problem with what they with what they, the plan that they had come up with, with this whole subsurface mineral rights uh, thing, has it, it happened? Because the first thing that happened was when they got that first royalty check, and it was nearly a billion dollars. It was nine hundred million dollars and change somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, and the, by the way, at that point, the state budget was a hundred and sixty-two million dollars that year. 162, 164, right in the $160 million range for that year. And they received a check for almost a billion dollars. Okay. You can understand that's some pretty heady stuff when you just got five years plus worth of revenue in a single royalty payment. And they're like, oh, these, and these are going to keep coming every year. This is amazing. And they went through that check like a hot knife through butter. I mean, like a they like given drunken sailors a bad name. They went through that check so fast, right? They spent money on everything. It was just it was it was a free for all. And the one thing that came out of that was that people like uh, Jay Hammond, for example, saw that and realized, oh, we've got some problems here. We've got this is going this will not end well. Thus was the beginning of the idea of sharing the resource wealth with the resource owners. We are a collective ownership state. It's a socialistic deal. I didn't write it, but we've got to live under it. Right. That's how that's how it came out. It's all we're collectively owned. And so Hammond came up with the idea of basically saying, well, since we're all owners, share owners, citizen owners of the state, then Alaskans should get a portion of that royalty directly into their own hands. Now, it wasn't that like, oh, the check's going to get cut and we're going to go ahead and just cut everybody a check based off of that. That didn't make any sense. Uh, and so they wanted something that was a little more stable. 
and something that not only gave people a slice of the pie, but also gave the chance for government to put some of this money away and not spend it all in one you know, all in one place. And so instead of it being a direct breakout or a direct payment from the royalty payment itself, they created the permanent fund. Okay. Permanent fund came first. So the permanent fund came first. They started depositing 25% of all royalties into this fund. So the state got 75% right off the top. And then the remainder 25% went into the permanent fund. And then they said, okay, now that that's building and things are going on, we need to get Alaskans to have their share. So they took a five-year rolling average of whatever that fund was and earned, not not just how much was in the fund, but how much the fund earned over a five-year period, every year for a five-year period. And then they said, okay, 50% will go to the permanent fund. This was the plan. Didn't kind of go out that way, but 50% goes to the, the people. 50% stays to the government that they can spend. They created a statutory formula and everything else. And so when people look at this, and I've had, I've had politicians, I've had politicians, some of my closest friends, um, and people like Gary who said, well, that's not, that's just government money. I mean, Gary's not saying that in this comment, but I can kind of read between the lines that this is what he feels like. Well, it's just government. We should move on from the PFD. Well, let me just ask if you put this money into, if you put your own money into some kind of fund, uh, money market, uh, you know, whatever, and it spun off money every year and they started taking big chunks of the money that you were owed because they are piss poor managers of that fund, would you just be like, eh, we'll just forget about that. I mean, you know, just let them have it. It'll be fine. They'll, you know, to where they eventually consume the entire thing. Would you be so blase about that? If you had actually taken your own, you know, money out of your pocket? Well, this is this is your inheritance, right? This is your right as a citizen of the state of Alaska. This is your money. Just because the government handles the money just because they're the ones that warehouse it and distribute it doesn't make it their money. I mean, I don't even care that the Supreme Court said, well, it's general fund money. That's right. That is not the intent of the legend. Just go back and read what they were talking about and read what they were saying about this during the time that they put the permanent fund and the dividend together. I mean, Lyman Hoffman read from the floor, it, it just, you know, said, look, this, it says right here, first call goes to the people. That's what they understood. It. This was not government money. The government was the caretaker of this money. But see, like, the, uh, again, this rogue money market firm or whatever, they've started to add all these bells and whistles and things like that and started to take more and more of the money under themselves because they can get away with it and we're letting them do it. So while I've seen this attitude before of, I think we should just quit harping on the PFD. I'm tired of talking about the PFD. Just let them have it. First and foremost, it must be nice to not, you know, to not be, to not worry about an extra $4,000 per person in your household every year. That must be nice to be at that position. Uh, and second of all, it must be nice to be able to just be blasé about giving up money that belongs to you. That is your, again, the government may handle it, but it is your money. And I'm seeing more and more of this attitude from a variety of people. And it always comes back to the fact that they believe really at the basis of their belief is that this is some kind of welfare. 
that this is some kind of that this is not a quid pro quo, that this is not the uh, I think Hammond. And I don't remember the quote exactly because I don't have it here in front of me. But he basically said that this whole sharing arrangement and with the PFD was like the ultimate expression of capitalism because it took something that was socialistic. And then it basically compensated you for your loss of your rights, your subsurface mineral rights. Now, people will make argument, well, I don't have minerals under my property. Well, but that's not the point. It is the loss of the rights overall. And that's what this is all about. But I'm seeing this more and more and more, uh, this kind of attitude. And I know that that's kind of part of the plan. That's kind of part of the whole situation is that they want to wear people down. They want people to be sick and tired of talking about the PFD. They want people, you know, I mean, it's the, I mean, it's just, it's, you know, it's the whole thing back when, right, when Natasha was, you know. This is day, I don't know what the heck day it is, Madam President. It's day a lot. And we're all tired. And it is time to get a new perspective. This fishbowl and air is very stale. My clothes, I'm so sick of them. I don't want to wear them anymore. I mean, this is the attitude, right? Oh, we're so sick of this discussion. We're down here for days. We're just so sick of talk. The, the PFD is sucking up all the oxygen in the room. Well, it should. Either handle it and take the political consequences of handling it by handling it. I mean, change the statute. If you're going to do it, change the statute and take your licking on the other side if people are going to be. But, I mean, I'm not even convinced that people would be upset. If they change the statute right now to zero it out or just make it whatever the legislature decides or whatever, I'm not even convinced that people would be pissed off about it. I mean, I thought that the people were going to rise up after Walker made that initial veto, and I thought that they were going to take it out on the elect on the, uh, on the uh, elected officials officials that were there and were complicit in his taking of the PFD. And it never happened. It never happened. That has done nothing but embolden these politicians to continue to steal from Alaskans. You know, that's the that's that's part of this whole thing. This money belongs to you, Gary and others like you who think about this. I would just say, what if you would put your money or maybe not your money, because maybe that's a bit. Well, you know, I can hear Randy like now. Well, that's not really your. What if you had an inheritance that was invested for you? What if you received some money from a long dead unknown uncle that de deposited it into some kind of money market account and you started getting it according to his wills and his wishes and you're like, oh, this is great. And then suddenly you started noticing that the money market fund was slowly taking more and more for management fees and this and that and because we just feel like it. They started taking it. Would you take that lying down? Well, you didn't earn that money. Well, no, but it was will. It's part of my legacy, part of my heritage. I mean, should that should I just let it go because I didn't go out and by the sweat of my own brow make that money directly? No. Would you stand there and take it? No, you wouldn't. Why would we want to do that? Why would we want to give up on the PFD? And Brad made a valid point and he made it off the air. And unfortunately, I'm not as eloquent as Brad is on this point. But to his to, to summate the whole thing, he said the whole key to putting Alaska back on track is fixing the PFD issue, taking that off the table so they can no longer dip into it at will, and they'll have to face the fact that they are overspending on what we have right now. If the PFD was off the table, 
if they if they just locked it and said, you know, this, you can't touch it. If it was if it was constitutionally protected. All of a sudden, all these other programs out there that have been living off the largesse of the PFD, been leeching off the PFD, all of a sudden, they would have to be justified. They would have to compete in the marketplace of ideas for all of these different things that they would do it. And all of a sudden, people would realize that the state is spending much more than they're taking in and cannot continue to do it. That is the reality of it. And. Until we get to that point, nothing's going to change. It, as like I said, if we continue down this path, Gary is right. The PFD will just disappear because it will be subsumed and consumed by the spending habits of this and, and, and future legislatures. They will just spend it all. And then you know what will happen? Because we haven't fixed the fundamental problem here, which is a spending problem. You know what will happen then? Well, then you'll get a tax on top of it. That the one thing that everybody wants to avoid, that all the people who are like, take the PFD, just don't tax me. You know what will happen in three, four, five, eight years? Your legislator will look you in your eye and say to you, well, you know, all these other states have taxes and you, you, my friend, have been getting a free ride. And so what we should do is we should do like other states do and we, we should tax you. you. You should pay your fair share. That's what's going to happen. There you go. That's what's going to happen. All right, we got more coming up. Next segment, Dead Ahead. Chris Story at the end of the show this morning. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. Your mental suppository. The Michael Duke Show. I don't know if that made any sense or not to any of you, but that's exactly what we've got going on. I mean, that that is I mean, that is exactly what we have going on. They are literally stealing it as if you had an inheritance that was invested for you and you started receiving it. It was nice and it was a little at first, but then because of the thing, it started to grow and it started to grow. And you're like, oh, man, now I'm going to start getting some real money that I can use in my life. And the next thing you know, you get this notice from them that says, nah, you know, we were going to give you all of this, but we know better than, you know, we need to, we needed that. Um... Donna asks me, would you support a constitutional PFD first before implementing all of the recommendations from the fiscal policy working group? It's a serious question. Man, there's some pitfalls to this whole thing. Um, I agree with the idea from the fiscal policy working group that this should be a holistic approach that not any one thing is going to fix the overall thing. But part of the problem is, is that we got this single subject rule thing that is just blowing that whole thing apart. We saw what happened last year when they tried to get put pieces together and Ben Carpenter working like a dog trying to get all that done. And he just kept getting roadblocked and roadblocked. And, you know, um, so while I agree, it needs to be holistic. Yeah, I, I think I would support a con. I think that would be the first step. That would be the first – it couldn't – in isolation, in and of itself, it would go quite a ways towards fixing the problem because, like I said, the first thing that it would do 
is that it would force people to look the truth in the eye and realize, oh, we've been covering all this deficit spending with the PFD. We've been we've been spending much more than we take in and much more than than is sustainable. And the only way we've been able to do it is because we had the PFD. If you took the PFD off the table, there would be I mean, you would hear some sphincters slamming shut from here. You'd be like, oh, they just tight. Oh, my God. Look, it would be the first step, I think. I think it would be the first step in many. Would I support it? Before implementing all the other ones, I think of anything else that was on the table that the fiscal policy working group recommended, which included oil taxes and sales taxes and cuts and a spending cap and all those other things. I do agree that this is something that you could do first to get the ball rolling. But if you just left it at that, I don't think I don't think it would be I don't think it would be enough on its own. I definitely think it would be a great first step. That's you know, in, in my mind, I think that would be a great first step in getting things rolling because again, it would immediately put the pressure on the legislature to take a hard, hard look at their spending. So it's, there you go. Uh, I don't know if that was the right answer for you, Donna. I don't know if that's what you were looking for. Um, but you asked, I answered. It's best best that I can do. Um, Gary says, been here 31 years and nothing is stopping him from taking more and more of the PFD. Gary, I've been here 53 years. Well, I spent a year and a half in Hawaii. So, I mean, I guess, you know, I've been here 50 years. The only thing stopping them from taking more and more of the PFD is you and me. That's what's stopping them. Otherwise, they would have they would have reversed this thing and overturned this thing a long time ago. Right? So they only win if we give up. The only win if we stop making a fuss about it. If we just roll over and say, okay, whatever you want, we'll do you do know better than we do, mommy and daddy. Thank you. That's the only way they win, is if we throw up our hands and walk away. Walk away. That's what happens. You know, I just, I can't see it any other way. Can't see it any other way right now. All right, uh, coming back to it, we're going to jump back in. Uh, I have no idea what we're what we're going to talk about next, but I'm sure it'll be fun and frivolous. Uh, All right, here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Let's do this thing. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Whew, I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. Yeah, buddy. We are ready to go. The Michael Dukes Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Hour two of the program continues. We've been discussing this. Um, uh, Donna asked the question during the break. Uh, she said, uh, you know, just an honest question she wanted to know 
if I would support a constitutional PFD first before implementing all of the recommendations from the Fiscal Policy Working Group. Now, we've talked a lot on this program about the recommendations of the Fiscal Policy Working Group. Um, And that, of course, was a plan that was put together by a diverse coalition of legislators. I mean, on opposite, complete and total opposite ends of the spectrum. But they came together, and they came together with a recommendation, and it was eight or nine points. Um, but the one thing, and they all unanimously agreed that this was the plan that could put Alaska back on track and they all unanimously agreed with that. But the one thing they also unanimously agreed on was that it could not be done piecemeal. It had to be a holistic approach. You had to change all of these things for it to work long-term. Now that ran up against some real problems. First of all, there's entrenched uh, there's in, there's entrenched interests in the legislature that doesn't give two craps what the fiscal policy working group said. They have their own agenda, their own plans, their own you know they're impressed by their own might and skill and intellect, and they believe that they know better than anybody how things should be you know should be done. Uh, and then you've got uh, other elected officials, of course, looking out for their own interest. And then we ran up against the single subject rule, which is a component where they couldn't create like it's not like in Congress where you can create an omnibus bill. Right. That covers, you know, kind of a, a broad topic with a bunch of different components. You have to focus on a single subject inside that. Each bill has to be separated out. And of course, each time a bill gets separated out. It is open to attack. It's open to amendment. It's open to just, you know, tabling or or killing it. And and the problem is, is they have this whole plan that requires all these holistic approaches. And you've got eight different pieces or nine different pieces, nearly impossible to get done. So Donna asked one of the components of it was that they constitutionalize the PFD. Right. That they protect it, they enshrine it so that the formula is in place. So it's no longer being this volleyball that gets batted back and forth in the legislature every year where the legislature decides how much the PFD is worth and all this kind of stuff. They you know, so one of the components was enshrined. So Donna asked, would you support a constitutional PFD first before implementing all of the recommendations from the fiscal policy working group, which included, you know, cuts. Uh, sales taxes, uh, new oil taxes, uh, you know, spending cap, all of these other kinds of things. And my answer to that is, yes, I would. I would. Is it ideal? Is it in and of itself enough to bring us back on track? No. But would it be a good start? The answer to that is yes. Why? Because it takes away the ability of the legislature to continue to kick the can down the road. See, they've been they've been able to avoid the hard thing that's been staring them in the face for years. The hard thing that's been staring them in the face since 2017, 2016, 2017, 2018. The hard thing that's been staring them in the face is that they have a spending problem. They are continuing to spend more. We spent 16 billion billion dollars out of the savings accounts money that had been socked away in the aughts and in the early teens when oil was in high cotton and we were making it and they were putting money away and we spent that 16 billion dollars over the course of just a handful of years because we refused to face the fact that we have a spending problem they of course kept framing it as a revenue problem, 
we're just not bringing in enough revenue. And what they've eventually done is they've created it to the point to where we now have a spending and a revenue problem. But if you enshrined the PFD and you took that wiffle ball off the table where they couldn't bat it back and forth every year, where they didn't have access and couldn't just dip into the fund on a whim and take that money to fill out their pet project or whatever else they're doing, all of a sudden they would have to come, there would be a billion dollar stop. There would be a billion dollar gap in their budget. And they'd have to all of a sudden, all of these programs, which are all so good for, oh, I love these programs. These take care of us. These are good. All these programs are good. Who pays? Well, it doesn't matter. We'll pay for it. It'll be fine. All of a sudden, all of these programs have to stand on their own merits. They have to compete for the limited number of dollars that are now available because the PFD has been taken off the table. Enshrining the PFD in the Constitution would be a tremendous first step in getting Alaska's fiscal house in order. And it would go a long way in and of itself, but it would not be the end-all, be-all. Because then you'd still have to have a spending cap. You'd still have to have new revenue measures, including taxing the oil companies, including some kind of sales tax including or, you know, flat tax or whatever it is that you want it to be, including some kind of uh, uh, in, including some kind of uh, cuts. There would have to be cuts. If you took the PFD out of the equation, I think cuts would become part of the second part of the list because they wouldn't be able to they just wouldn't be able to function. And all these other things would have to come in line. Now, ideally, I, you know, you'd love to pass it as some kind of wholehearted, rounded, comprehensive, holistic package. That's just never going to happen because of the rules of the legislature and where everything is. I just, the, the, you know, it, it really is, uh, it, you know, it's really a frustrating thing to watch, especially when you understand that this end game is going to eventually end up where everybody doesn't want it to end up at anyway. Right. People like Gary, people like Chris, people like other friends who talk about these things, they all say, well, just give up the PFD. I don't want to pay taxes. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. You'll give up the PFD, and within a handful of years, maybe eight at the outside, maybe shorter, maybe three, maybe four, depending on how hog wild the legislature goes, you'll be paying taxes anyway. And you won't have the PFD to offset it. It'll just be, nope, it'll just be taxes. And you'll hear things, like I said, like, no, you just guys haven't been paying your fair share. You've been getting a free. I remember somebody made this argument to me about 15 years ago, and I just ripped them to shreds because they're, oh, you're getting a free ride. All this government's being paid for. No, Jack, that's my money that the government's getting their hands on first before I get it. That's the problem. The problem with this whole thing is that the money doesn't pass through Alaskans' hand, giving them a chance to utilize it, to possess it, to invest in it, to consume and spend with it, and then turn it back over to the government for them to do what they normally do with it. Again, divorcing the public and the private economy completely uh, apart and not allowing that, that, that synergy that happens between government and private economies to, to go on because they are dependent 
right? Especially the government economy is dependent on that private economy doing well. In Alaska, we totally don't have that, and they could give two rips about it. That's what's going on right now. Uh, you know, and, and that's you're you're that's the thing. You're going to what you are trying to avoid is going to happen anyway if you continue to allow them to take the PFD. I mean, I would put real, real uh, dead presidents on. I'd put American dollars on that bet. That if we all just threw our hands up in the air and said, you know what? I'm sick and tired of talking about this PFD. Just take it. Just take it. Get out of here. Do it with with it what you will. Three, five, eight years from now, they'll come back and say, well, you know, we've got a problem. You know, you just aren't paying your fair share. And uh, we're going to have to institute some form of tax on you because you need all this stuff that we've created, right? You need all this stuff that we've created. When you say no, they're like, well, maybe you don't, but somebody does. They've become dependent on these programs. They've become dependent. That's, I mean, that's where we're at. That's where we're at with this whole thing. You cannot give up the ship. I will fight for the PFD until it's absolutely gone, and then I'll still gripe about it. But you can't just be throwing your hands up in the air and be like, well, you know, whatever. At least it's not a tax. (laughs) Oh, baby. Yeah. Now, just give it a couple days. See what happens then. That's what's going on. That's what. So the answer to Donna's question is yes, I would support a constitutional PFD. That's a heavy, heavy lift. Why? Because you got to have a two thirds vote of the legislature to get it on the ballot for people to vote on. Do I think people would vote for it? Yes. I think people would vote for a constitutional amendment to enshrine the PFD. But the powers that be are the gatekeepers on whether or not that comes to the people. The legislators who are reveling. In their superiority, we know better than you how you should live your life and spend your money. They are reveling in that, and they do not want to give up that part of the power. So it will be a heavy lift to get that onto the ballot, especially with this Senate right now and the walrus. I know what I'm talking about. I know what's going on. Uh, No, I mean, he absolutely... I mean, he just, you know, I mean, we, those kind of people, they do not want to give up their shot at power and what they're doing because they know, I know exactly what I'm talking about. That was just BS. I mean, you know, I just, you know. All right. Well, guess what? They got to go. Wow. I was not expecting it to go that way. Chris Story's up next. The man from Homer. <laughs> Just give up that PFD. It'll be fine. Uh, We got more directly ahead. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll be back with more right after this.
We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. All right, we're in the break right now. I'm going to get caught up in the comments here, but I've got to respond to this text. And uh, 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 all right. All right, and we're going to do that. Uh, do that. Clear that out. See if we can get Chris Story on the horn. See if he's ready to go. Okay. All right, let me let me try this real quick here. I'll see if we can get him on the telephone. See what he has to say. And then I'll get caught up on the comments. Okay. See how that goes. Good morning, Michael Dukes. How are you? Hello, sir. How are you? Ah, good to be back. Good to be back with you. My week will now be complete. Your week is now complete. Uh, well, good. That's, will be. It will be. Okay. Well, I'm. Will you be. Know, yeah, I'm, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I'm only. I'm only here to help, my friend. I'm only here to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. You are so, a tool. Yes, I am. Uh, what's the topic for today? The science of success. The science of success. Okay. All right. You cannot question the science. Trust I the can't. science. That's right. Do not question the science, you denier. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to put you on hold for a second because I have been remiss in getting to the uh, getting to the chat room comments. So I'll put Chris on hold for just a second here. And we'll go back here. Randy says, it's a trap. Don't support enshrining the concept of a free cash handout. Well, I mean, we automatically cannot even find common ground on that, Randy, because it's not a free cash handout. It's your money. So everything else you have to say beyond that is nonsense. Uh, Mike, I agree with you and Brad, but many of us made a calculation when Walker started messing with the PFD. The PFD comes out once a year, so it really doesn't affect my daily life. Taxes, however, come out of my paycheck against my will every day, so limits my ability to pay bills. Maybe I'll get a refund in April, but once again, a year, uh, once a year bonus that use that use isn't available when an actual when I actually need it. Um, okay, so I, and I and it runs off the page. I can't read all of what Leela's saying there, but uh, yeah, okay. Um, Michael, if they put sales taxes and it hits everybody, tourists and everybody, they probably won't leave the permanent fund alone either. I, that's always a danger at this point, right? I mean, that's always part of it. You know, that's why you have to take it off the table to begin with. Uh, how about following the law and most of the problems will go away? So no law, no law. So this is how we got here. Well, that's the thing. There is a law and they just refuse to follow it. That's part of the problem. Hashtag follow the damn law, right? I mean, that's that's the thing. Um, there has to be another way to enshrine the PFD aside from a constitutional convention. It doesn't have to be a constitutional convention. It could be a constitutional question. It could be an amendment. But again, that has to have a three-quarter vote of the legislature to get it in front of the people. Um, uh, they must think money grows on trees, says Amy. Well, they wish it would grow on trees because they would have, you know, planted them all around your house and then come in and taken it all. Um they passed the BSA and pension retirements bill this next session. There will be, they passed the BSA and pension retirement bills this next session. There will be no PFD and new taxes will immediately happen immediately afterward because that draw isn't enough to pay for them. Well, 
I get, like I said, as little as I say three years, as maybe on eight years on the outside, if you just threw up your hands and walked away and said, take the PFD, it won't matter because there'll be taxes on top of that in three to eight years. That's my, that's my take. That's what it is. Um, Alaska is the heaviest taxed people on the planet, says Harold. My God, we actually agree on something. Yes, we are. Absolutely. Um, Brian says income taxes and direct income taxes are coming. It's not a question of if, but of when. That's what I'm talking about. Um, uh, I used the word synergy incorrectly. Um, makes one wonder what the taxes will be when the PFD goes away. Well, I mean, I just, you don't know. That's the thing. We don't know. Everybody's so been so anth- to talk about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. I'm sure it'll be probably the worst form of tax that we could possibly ask for. Um, okay. Um, if you weren't on camera, would you still do the walrus thing with your fingers? Probably, because it's just a thing. It's one of those things. You know, right to the wall. I'm just, I'm Bert Stedman with the walrus. Um, anyway. Okay. Uh, um, that's it. Capping it off. Uh, capping. <laughs> this is Harold. We're capping off the show with advice from a high schooler. Like that's wrong. But then he follows it up with, well, you don't need an advanced degree to be successful. But he says, capping it off with advice from a high schooler. Yeah. Chris and I are both high schoolers. I mean, barely. But I mean, we're high schoolers. Like it's a bad. Oh, God. All right. We got to go. I'm going to let Chris comment on that when we come back because I mean, you know, high schooler is a, you know, high schooler. All right. uh, We got to go. Uh, last segment of the show, ready to do this. The Michael Duke show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio, like share, follow, do all the things, all the YouTube and Facebook things. <sighs> Let's do it. Okay, welcome back to the program. Uh, last final segment. Chris Story, the man from Homer, the the high schooler from Homer, comes in to share with us his basic high school knowledge. Uh, you know, on a thing. Sorry, that's a commentary from somebody in the chat room. Uh, Chris is here with us to help us with our life, give us a little life coaching, a little betterment. And uh, he joins us right now. Hello, my friend. How are you? Good morning, Michael. I'm grateful to be back. Grateful yeah. to be back in voice and grateful to be back with you. Yeah, I heard you caught the bubonic plague or something last week and couldn't come in or you were recovering from your sex change operation. One of the two. Um, so, yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. Oh, they're not mutually exclusive. Uh, so what uh, what's going on, my friend? How are you doing? Are you feeling better? Everything's good. You're back in the saddle. Oh, yeah. I felt that was the weird thing. You know, it wasn't, it was just a minor head cold that turned into a, a laryngitis, just affected uh, my voice to a point where I just hardly couldn't speak. So, but it's good to be back. Good to be back. I, and it's always interesting when you are of faith 
and you you talk about and you promulgate the idea of abundance and gratitude and faith, even in challenging times, to have a challenging time and then fall back on that with which you preach and speak and think about and write about is always a good test. Putting it to the test. Yeah. And I'm here to tell you it works. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's when you get, you know, when you get pressed to the mat and you gotta you gotta exercise those things under pressure, that's when you, you know, puts the puts the puts the metal to the test, so to speak. You know what I mean? Uh to get it done. I totally agree with that. Um all right, Mr. Story. Um today we're gonna talk about science. Uh in this case we must follow the science and it is the science of success. Success. That's it. And of course, success is simply a placeholder for results, whatever results you're looking for in life. So the science of success, you could hear that towards health, wealth, prosperity, relationships, all the stuff that you and I talk about. Science is merely a plan put into action, backed by faith and gratitude. And so if you miss any of those component pieces, your formula just isn't right. The chocolate cake might look good, but it's not going to taste good. It's like substituting salt for sugar or vice versa. We've got to follow the formula. And the formula is simply to have a plan and then put the plan into action and then have faith and gratitude throughout. And the difficulty is, as the Buddhists say, quieting your monkey mind. And we all have it. We all have the voice of fear. We have the voice of lack. We have the voice of what if. What if somebody criticizes me because I don't have a degree, a higher higher degree in finance? I don't even have a high school diploma, actually. In fact, just a GED. I call it a PH. GED is what I've got in life. And so you have these questions in your mind that come up and say, well, who am I? to achieve this? Who am I to reach for that? Who am I? That's the hardest part about the success formula that never fails is to simply quiet that piece of your mind and engage and empower the mind of abundance and the mind that says, this too shall pass. I will weather the storm. I see what's on the other side. I am called. I do have a purpose. I'm here on purpose and I can fulfill that purpose. That is the hardest thing. Uh, you know, I, I, there are times in my life when I get, uh, I know it's shocking to hear, I get a little dauber down sometimes, right? I get into my head and I start thinking about things. I start worrying about things. Like you said, the fears of this or that, uh, you know, not necessarily of what people think or anything like that, but of things that could go wrong and, uh, you know, things that are pressuring me and stressing me. And that's when, when I focus on that, it's the whole two wolves thing, right? Uh, two, two wolves beat within my breast. One is cursed, the other blessed, you know, kind of thing. The one you feed is the one that's going to dominate. And if I continue to feed into that, instead of looking at the abundance side of the equation, that's it, it. It becomes this circle think this cycle of I get, you know, angrier or upset or depressed or whatever. You've really got to take physical. Well, not it's metaphysical, I guess. Metaphys- you got to wrest control of your mind away from the tracks that it's running on. And you got to jerk the steering wheel into the right track. I think you were right, though, with it, that it is physical as well. And I find that breathing, breath control quieting your body, physically getting still and and controlling and focusing on your breath. Before I ever do a, a speech or a presentation or going going public, I con- I'm always cognizant of breath control first and using sort of a six by six breathing where you you know breathe in for six, hold for six, 
breathe out for count of six. You could use any number you want, but that's just what I've learned. And so it is physical and metaphysical. It's, it is about, look, if you're not getting the results in life you want, then you've got to go back to formula. And it isn't you. It isn't where you are. It isn't that you don't have enough. It's the formula potentially. And go back to formula and either maybe your plan is wrong or maybe you've not been putting in the correct effort or you've been putting in too much effort here when in fact it should be focused over there or you're lacking faith or gratitude. So you go back to the formula. Remember the golden law, the golden shovel law of success, which is leveraged effort equals reward. Leverage times effort or multiplied by effort equals your goal, the reward, the results you want. So if leverage in this case is the plan, what plan are you following? And then effort obviously is taking action on it. And sometimes we mistake working harder with going in the right direction. And sometimes you need to stop physically, calm your mind, take control of your breath and, and just reorient your plan or recommit. Right. Commit to it and have faith and be well, grateful for where you are. I had a pretty epic failure this summer with a business thing that I wanted to do. It was somewhere I wanted to take, um, you know, this this um, radio show and I wanted to take it in this different direction and it it failed. And so I had to really go, OK, hold on. What, what am I supposed to learn here and really pull myself back from the brink and go, no, no, something better is on its way. Abundance is coming in this effort. This multiplier will work. I need to change directions. And I think that this is actually, you know, you and I are a follower of Napoleon Hill and, and uh, you know, the laws of success and some of those things that happened right at the turn of the last century. And they talk about some of the difficulties and things like that of getting your mind right and focusing and all these kind of things. And I think that actually today it's even worse because we are inundated with stimuli at every point, right? I mean, the it used to be in advertising that somebody had to hear something 21 times before it made an impression on them. That was this that was the actual, you know, uh, uh they'd actually done studies and everything. That's what it actually was. 21 times before it made an impression. That was 25 years ago. Today, it's almost 30 times. Why? Because we got our phones and we got the things and we got the billboards and we got the the TVs that have got the ad, you know, and it's just it's this constant inundation of stimuli. And I agree with you that that moment of taking time out, turning everything off, closing your eyes, deep breathing, thinking about calming yourself and finding that oasis, that moment that uh, what Walden talked about, you know, where he talked about getting back to that that, that moment of nature and that oneness. Um, I mean, it's harder than it was 25 years ago because we are so stimulated in so many ways, but it is critical. And it's something that I fail to do quite often, quite on. I mean, I'll I'll admit that's one of my biggest failure points is not slowing down um, long enough to do that. Uh, You know, people always say, well, you know, the the comment on my schedule or what I'm doing and I'm busy. I, I, you know, it's again, it's, it's long hours. It's every day. It's boo, 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 boo. But the thing is, is that I fail. My failure has been not to do that. But when I do, when I focus on that, I see tremendous results. And 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 we've got to get away from that and find that moment of quiet. That's where the science begins is with that moment of quiet, self-reflection, grabbing the wheel of your mind and dragging it to the right track is it's imperative. I guess I can't say it anymore. It is imperative that you do that. In, in one of the ways that I've taken control of social media in my life is to not have it on my phone. So it's not accessible easily. I have to be sitting in front of my computer, log in, 
go and physically log in because I don't keep it on, you know, on a constantly. You have to log in, remember the password, enter it, go there, uh, do something briefly and get out. For example, I don't remember the guy's name that you said, um, said something about, oh, we're going to listen to a high schooler. Who said that? Right. Oh, Harold is our favorite yeah. resident he, troll. That, there you go. Would Harold, so these things are coming at you through social media. Would he ever have stopped me in a grocery store, tapped me on the shoulder and said, <laughs> you're a high schooler. You, you don't even have a high school diploma. You look, no, he would never have said it, but from behind a keyboard through social media. Wow. Just incredibly brave and courageous is he. However, I don't care if, the, if it was coming at me all the time and I was putting myself in the way of that, then I would and it would bother me. So we have to be finding ways to ignore those kinds of negativities and, and the, the brave keyboard warriors of the world and say, that doesn't bother me. I don't even see it. We'd never have known it if you hadn't shared it. Thanks, Michael. But it's just it's one of those things that like this is coming at you constantly 24 seven. Now imagine you're a teenager. And you're hearing that or reading right. that and have that constant right. stimuli, as you say. So I think it's important, as you just said, to get quiet, to be still. I remember when I first moved to Anchorage years ago from Homer, you know, it's down to 5,000. I moved to Anchorage, a couple hundred, 250,000 people. I had to find, for me to survive in Anchorage, I had to find a place. We had owned this condo near Campbell Creek. And I would go down to Campbell Creek and, and get away from the noise and the crush of right. Anchorage. But right. thanks for letting me share this, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Chris Story, the man from Homer, um, it's the science of success, and it takes some work, but it's 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 simple, but it's not easy, I guess is what we would say, right? I mean, that's kind of the, the, the thing. It's simplistic, but it's not always easy. Chris, hold the line for just a second, folks. We are out of time. Tomorrow on the program, I believe Mike Shower is going to be joining us, <laughs> fingers crossed, uh, on Thursday... One of my favorite author, authors, Mark Tufo, is going to be joining us. I'm so excited about that. We'll talk about it more tomorrow. The Michael Duke Show. All right, I, I pushed Chris right up against the barrier there. That's the problem with having it at the end of the show is that he's got a hard stop there. So, Chris, I'll give you a chance to summate here uh, with your thoughts on this because this is critically important. And, 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 folks, again, this is why I have Chris on. It's not necessarily for you. That's kind of a fringe benefit for you. <laughs> it's for me because he's saying exactly what I needed to hear. Uh, you know, last couple of weeks for me have been I've had some some challenges going on, you know, and and he's helping me get my mind right and reminding me. So, again, Chris, you know, just to let last couple of minutes here to summate, my friend. Oh, thanks, Mike. Yeah, just the, the science of success is essentially having a plan, putting it into action, and holding faith and gratitude. And it's a challenge, but it's a formula that if you're if you just follow it like you're baking a cake, it's a recipe that will work every time. And I, like you, just said, you know, having some challenges the last couple of weeks. Um, I would just tell somebody the other day called me, and they were um, having a really tough time financially. They've made a couple of critical mistakes. They have owned it, held themselves responsible, understand it, but yet it's they are feeling like their back is against the wall. And this particular individual feels like they've fallen into a giant, they're, you know, in an eight foot hole and they're four foot tall. That's how they feel. Right. And I just, I told this person, I said, you know, I'm not into failure porn. I don't constantly talk about times <laughs> that I've tripped and fallen and, and celebrate it. But at the same time, I'm honest and pretty vulnerable about it when I have. And I shared with this individual a, t a circumstance that I went through in 2008, 9, and 10. Um, it wasn't 
consistently, but it started, you know, in 2008 when the market began to change and, and um, we were able to climb out of a very deep hole uh, by 2010. And I ended up writing a book about it that much later called Born to Live that just was this uh, about, in essence, what it's like to feel like the world is against you and yet coming out the other side, holding faith and gratitude. And when you think about it as a science or a recipe, then I find it easier because then I can just look and go, wait a minute, where am I lacking? Is it my plan? Mm, no, this is a really good plan. I know it, but I've not been putting in the effort or I right. have been, but I, I have no realization in my mind that this is going to work. That means I'm not holding faith or maybe I'm, I'm finding problems with everybody, which means I'm not having gratitude. Right. So it's one of those things is out of balance and you can feel like you're, you're going off the road on an icy day. So it's just a matter of balancing those things and the formula works every time. I get irritated with myself because I'm like, you know, this, you know, this thing works and you let yourself spiral down and go on the wrong track and focus on this negative stuff or these challenges. You're a human being. Yeah. And you, I get so irritated with myself because I'm like, Hey, idiot you know what works here you know what you need to be focused on you know my self-talk sometimes is uh you know it's tough but but that's exactly what it is 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 having that attitude of abundance having that attitude of attraction you know the success comes to me that those kind of things and i know it works you know it works anybody who's worked that and and focused on that and had faith in that knows that it works but we we forget we have this short term mm-hmm. memory where we just forget that, oh, everything's great. And then you stop kind of focusing on that and then things come apart and you're like, what did I do wrong? Oh, I know what I did. I'm an <laughs> idiot, you know, and and that's the thing. I need to hear that. And that's why I have you on every day, not only because I love you, but because you you constantly are bringing me back. To the, to the points that I need to root. Not that I always are am paying attention every week to necessarily what it is, but going back and looking and saying, yeah, that was exactly what Chris was talking about this week. I should have, you know, and it, and it brings me back on track. And so it's, uh, it's, it's great stuff. But it is important to understand that you, mean me, you, the listener, we can only control ourselves and our own thoughts. And if we don't grab the wheel and pull it onto the right track, that train is going over the cliff. I mean, we're, we're just, you know, cause we're, again, we're human and that's our nature. Our nature seems to be to constantly run into that track. We've got to constantly work on it to prevent that. Well said, my friend. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it, Chris. Thank you for, uh, thanks for coming in today, my friend. I appreciate it. As always, it was my pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure. And I'm glad you're feeling better. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, folks, uh, that's it um, for today. So, yeah, uh, coming up uh, tomorrow, I'm hoping that we're going to have uh, Mike Shower with us. That's the that's the plan. We'll see. We'll see how that plan goes. And then on Thursday, and I'm not sure which hour yet. I'm still working out the details with him. One of my favorite authors, Mark Tufo, is going to be joining us. Now, this show is completely for me. I'm going to get a fanboy so hard on this. Uh, One of my favorite authors, Mark Tufo, uh, written the Indian Hill series, the zombie fallout series, uh, the Timothy, Life of Riley, uh, the Whistlers. It's for me, okay? I hope you enjoy it too. Uh, But I just love talking to people who have had a tremendous amount of success on their own merit. 
And uh, so we're going to talk with Mark Tufo on Thursday. Super excited about that. Uh, we might talk with uh, Dr. Lott on Friday for Firearms Friday as well. I'm working on that as well. So here's the thing. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. Grab your mind. Grab your, you know, and think on abundance. Think on the positive. Think on that attracting what you want. It's important stuff. It really is. I know it sounds all woo-woo crystally, but it works, baby. Tomorrow's another day. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. We'll see you tomorrow, my friends. Have a good day. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show